calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Today for this Take 15, we'll be talking with Dr. Daniel Goldman about his recent book and the concepts of mindfulness, compassion, and the opportunity to be a force for good. Daniel Goldman, thank you for talking with us today. Christian, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. In your most recent book, A Force for Good, The Dalai Lama's Vision for Our World, you talk about emotional hygiene. Can you talk to me about the ways that this concept refers to emotional intelligence? Well, I really think of emotional intelligence as a frame for emotional hygiene. Emotional hygiene is the Dalai Lama's phrase for managing our inner world, uh, being aware of how we're feeling, being a leader for ourselves, being empathic, tuning into other people, handling our relationships well. He sees that as the basis for an internal state where we're calm, where we're clear, where we make our best decisions. And I see the emotional intelligence map is fitting perfectly right there. That's fascinating. How can an individual practice that mindfulness and that emotional hygiene that you're talking about? Well, I think mindfulness, which is a, a technique that allows you to monitor your internal states, your thoughts, your feelings, but not be pulled in by them, particularly the ones that are disturbing and distracting. I think mindfulness is a, a perfect uh, entry point for emotional intelligence. The first part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. The second part is managing ourselves well based on that. Mindfulness is a wonderful tool for that. The second part, though, is external. It's with other people. So it's mindfulness of other people. We call that empathy, tuning into the other person, sensing what they're feeling, knowing what they're thinking, or understanding how they think, at least, and then using that to tune into whether we can be helpful to them. That's the compassion part. And then our relationship skills, which is the final component of emotional intelligence, determines how well we can help other people. And that's interesting. As a core concept in emotional intelligence, you're talking about empathy and how it leads into that compassion element. Can you talk a little bit about that resilience factor with emotional intelligence and how it fits into that compassion element? Well, resilience, the way I see it, has to do with uh, actually how we handle stress in our lives. And a lot of the stress in our lives is from other people. Maybe 90% actually is from <laughs> other people. But uh, technically, resilience means how quickly or how well we can recover from being upset. And it's the recovery, I think, which opens the way to compassion. Because when we're upset, when we're stressed out, we're actually not thinking that much about the other person. Mm. We're focused on ourselves. And when you're focused on yourself, you actually don't even notice the other person. It's very hard to empathize and be compassionate when you're in a, you know, an upset, distressed state. So by managing ourselves first, we're able to open the way to working with, guiding, helping other people. That's very, very insightful. When we go from that state of resilience and we are able to focus on the other person and not be limited by our own stress and how we're managing that. 
Tell me how practicing that emotional hygiene can actually have an impact in our business lives. Well, uh, for example, for financial advisors, one of the toughest moments is when markets are not doing well, when investments aren't working, and people start panicking. That's a moment when your calm, your clarity is extremely crucial for the other person to sense that they don't have to panic. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's okay to be calm and think this through and not make a rash decision. So I think your internal state is very linked to the, how you can help the state of the other person and help them in turn make their own best decisions. So helping someone to manage that, and we're talking about the financial sector, very relevant. Um, how do you help someone develop that compassion as they are dealing with potentially crisis or challenging situations with their clients? Well, uh, don't think about it as compassion. That sounds a little lofty. Think about it as caring as being concerned, as wanting to help the other person. That's what a financial advisor is for. Uh, it's helping that other person manage their wealth, manage what they have, their savings, in the best way for them in the long term. That's a, actually a very compassionate and caring goal, if you think about it. And uh, I think by keeping that in mind, financial advisors can have a good moral rudder in how they operate with the person. Mm. Talk to me a little bit, um, Daniel, about the problems of short-termism, really following up with um, when we're focused on that goal, you know, we're focused on the immediate piece in front of us, we're trying to be um, empathic, we're trying to be resilient to what's in front of us. How do we move past that short-term piece and help our clients on the longer-term element? I have to ask you, uh, you mean in terms of short-term return on investment or short, what do you mean by short-term? Short, short term, our own limiting beliefs of, of looking at the short-term goal and not the longer-term play. Oh, so it's, okay. I think it's important to understand that short-term thinking is a kind of bias. It's a cognitive slant on things that doesn't let you understand the whole picture. The whole picture is, you know, we're in this for the long term. Mm -hmm. It's not just the immediate return. It's not just what's happening next month, next quarter. It's what's happening over a person's life. That's the long term. And so we need to balance those two. Of course, you want to do well in the short term, but that is not actually the most important measure. It's how you do in the long term. So what's interesting is we're talking about how we can manage these elements in the long term, how we can see past some of our own shorter term goals and that shorter term gain. Talk a little bit, if you will, about being mindful with our clients before we're even mindful with ourselves. Is that possible or do we really need to start with ourselves in terms of mindfulness? I think mindfulness starts with yourself uh, because with mindfulness you can manage your internal state which lets you be most open to empathize and understand the client. So start there and then move it to the other person or at least put it in the relationship. Don't think about uh, I'm going to help that client be mindful but rather how can I have the relationship itself be a, a place where we can both be mindful. Interesting. From, from our own mindfulness and from our own emotional intelligence and learning how to deal with ourselves and, and our stress first and moving it out to our clients, talk to me a little bit about how emotional intelligence can help with innovation when we're trying to deal with our clients, when we are trying to uh, succeed with some of these longer-term goals, when we're trying to deal with the markets. How can emotional intelligence help us lead to innovation. I think that the self-awareness piece is very important when it comes to innovation, oddly enough, because 
uh, innovation means understanding the entire system and what possibilities are, but at the moment, it has to do with, can you have a creative insight? Can you put things together in a new and original way? And it's very helpful to understand that when we're goal-focused, we're thinking about the short term, how can I make the numbers, whatever it is, we're activating a part of the brain which is antithetical to creativity. Mm. In order to be creative, you have to let it go and just let your mind float, like walk the dog, you know, go for a swim, whatever it is that helps you get into a state where you're not thinking about the numbers, the goal, what I have to do at the office, any of that. And uh, when that happens, then the brain is in a state where it's most likely to put together two or more novel elements in a new and innovative way. The history of uh, you know, uh, science and mathematics is rife with examples of people you know, trying to solve a problem for th math problem for three years. I got the answer getting on a bus. Mm. That's how the brain works. Then you need to get focused again and execute. So I think it's important to understand your own internal state. This is where mindfulness can be a great way of helping you get to where you want to go. Because if you're trying to innovate, it's not going to come to you when you're goal-focused and just try thinking about the target. It's going to come to you in those off times, and then you put it into effect. It's, it's, so, it's so true. When we work on ourselves and we can identify those states, we can get to that innovative place. But it's so difficult when you live in such an achievement-driven society. You know, uh, I think the trick to living successfully in an achievement-driven society and a goal-oriented job is having downtime. Build it into your day. Have a time every day when you put it aside, you let go, you turn off the phone, or you go for a walk, whatever it may be. Because those are the moments you can reflect about it. You can step back. You can see the big picture. You can have the creative moment. They're, those are goals, those are treasure, those moments. And it's so easy to say, well, I've got something else to do. But if we understand the importance and value, then we'll make it a priority. Daniel, may I ask, how do you practice mindfulness? Well, I've been a meditator for a long time. I was, I was doing a mindfulness practice way before it was on everyone's, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, the first thing they're thinking about in the day. Uh, and I've done a lot of research. I'm actually currently writing a book on the neuropsychology of meditation uh, based on, now there are about 2,000 scientific articles a year showing the value of these practices. That's fascinating. Such a critical component to helping us manage what's going on internally. I recommend it. If I were to ask you to give us two or three things for our financial professionals that are watching this Take 15, what pieces of advice would you have for them? I would say first, take care of yourself. Make sure that you're not too stressed, too you know, goal-oriented, too running all the time to manage your own internal state, to let yourself relax, let yourself have that open time. Then use that calm and clarity to think about your client, to tune in, to see where they are, to understand how they see the world. And then to, third, put what you would advise them in terms they can understand, which requires empathy first. Thank you, Daniel, for your insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure to interview you. Thank you for watching, and for more Take 15s, please go to the cfainstitute.org website. For more information on Daniel Goleman and his current books, please take a look at Join a Force for Good, that's the number four, or morethansound.net. Again, that's Join a Force for Good, and that's the number four, dot org. 
and morethansound.net. Thank you and be well. Copyright 2016 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.